Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I'm Nika Spaulding, and today we are pressing on into chapter 5. We're going to look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Amos chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, so let's jump right in. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen, no more to rise, is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. This is the word of the Lord. So far, the book of Amos has been very emotionally strong, and it's going to continue in that way. Um, We see in the beginning he's talking to the nations and the things that make him angry, and then he turns his attention to Judah and then to Israel. And then in chapters 3 and 4 of of this book, we have incredibly strong language. I'm going to tear down your strongholds. I'm going to break down your defenses. I am going to, he compares Israel to a carcass of a sheep who's been devoured. So I think chapter five takes a really intimate, emotional turn in a good way. It gives us a full orbed picture of God's emotion towards Israel. That if you're not careful, you think it's rage that he feels towards them. But really, in chapter 5, we have the new hear this word. So chapter 3, hear this word. Boom, boom, boom. This is what I'm going to do. Chapter 4, boom. This is what I'm going to do. And chapter 4 ends with, I've already done these things to you. So prepare to meet your God. And then chapter 5 says, Here's the, hear this, O Israel. I'm lamenting over you. God is not full of rage, blind rage that that makes him unable to feel the love and commitment he has to Israel. In fact, his, his anger is predicated upon the fact of how much he loves them. Don't y'all know that you can get angrier at people you love than those who you really don't love? At least I can, and I, I think people who don't are lying. Like, like I, when friends get married, and they're like, how is it I can love and hate that person at the same time that I just married? And I'm like, well, of course. Of course, your spouse is the person that you have the strongest emotions for. You're the most intimate with them so that when they do something wrong, it feels so much more personal. That's the level of love and intimacy that God has for Israel. It's a different kind of relationship. So he's not just upset with them. He is grieved over them. That word lament is to express grief and distress. We see that God even has one of the prophets write a book called Lamentations, and these are... Basically, like funeral 
dirges of sorts to talk about the grief that God feels over the destruction of his people. God is not some hardened, angry deity up in heaven that just wields a heavy hand toward us. He's a relational Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who is grieved over our lack of repentance. And so chapter 5 takes a really beautiful turn where he says, Look, I am sad for you. I have grief and distress over your inability, or your not really inability, your refusal to return to me. Yes, I'm angry. I'm also sad. I'm angrad, or whatever you want to call that emotion. And then, as is the case we've talked about in this book, there's different elements to a book of prophecies that you can look for depending on time. So you've got the past, which is God's resume, as we've talked about before, the things that God has done. And we're going to actually see that. We see that in this passage. You've got the present, these accusations, what makes God mad? What are they doing wrong? And then we've got the day of the Lord, which is this very cosmic language that is both a day of judgment and a day of restoration, depending on if you are the oppressor or the oppressed. And so this day of the Lord are these great days of judgment that come for those who are who are not seeking the welfare of those around them. And then there's the future where it looks ahead to a restoration, looks ahead to a gathering, often looks ahead to either Jesus' first coming or a second. And what we see in this passage is there's often a chance, even in the midst of the present tense, you have done wrong and consequences are coming for you. There is often a chance to turn back, which is crazy because we see how much iniquity Israel has done, how much sinfulness that they've brought about and how they remain in that. The end of chapter four is you would not return no matter what I did to get your attention. And then chapter five is, and I am sad about that. And then he begs them. He pleads with them, seek me and live. This is so important. This is so important because I think what can happen sometimes in our modern evangelical culture, if you're a part of it, or even if you're not, there seems to be, and at the risk of overstating it, but I think this is important, there seems to be an emphasis sometimes on seek the word and live, or seek better behavior and live. And what we see here is that life is found in the Lord and the Lord alone. The appeal to Israel is not to seek the word, which would be very difficult given this point in history, because anyways, you don't need a whole lesson on when the Bible comes together in its final pages. But my point being, it is not seek some tablets, some ostracus, some scrolls, some writing about me. It is seek me because I am life. Seek me and you can live. Even in the midst of your utter rebellion, we know the consequences that you have done or excuse me, the, the sins that you have committed and the consequences I have done to try and bring you. We have seen that. I have aired your dirty laundry. Y'all done messed up, Israel. We're not talking lightweight sin. We're talking heavyweight sin. You threw punches. You had no business punching. And yet, I'm telling you, you can still seek me and live. It's an incredible picture of the length of forgiveness that God will go. He begs them, don't return to Bethel and Gilgal. Those are those places of the idolatrous false worship. Do not seek them. There's no life in them. Friends, we sometimes run to things that we think are going to give us life. And this picture in Amos and that we see throughout scriptures, there is only one place that you can find life. And that is the giver of life, the Lord. 
So when you are feeling the repercussions of death and decay because of either choices you've made or others have made in your life, the only place you can go for restoration is to the Lord who gives life. Seek him and live, repent, run, find comfort, jump in his arms. Know that life can be found in the arms of your Lord. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. And then after that second, seek me and live, seek the Lord and live. There is this warning though. He's like, hey, you guys, the one, he says that you turn justice to wormwood and you cast down righteousness to earth. You're the ones that you need to come seek me and live. And so what is he saying here? Well, we've kind of already talked about issues of justice and righteousness and things like that, but I want to continue to drive home this point. Justice is the, is the Greek term mishpat and righteousness is, excuse me, the Hebrew term mishpat and righteousness is the Hebrew term sadaka. And you will often see them paired together in the scriptures. It could actually be a fun Where's Waldo game for you and your kids if you're driving along because every kid loves to play Where's Waldo in the scriptures. And so if your kids can read and they're bored, hand them a Bible and say, find justice and righteousness paired together in couplets throughout the Minor Prophets. Super fun game. Play it all the time. And so, uh, no, I don't. But so this idea of righteousness, sadaka, is this is this standard of equitable relationships, this right equitableness in the land, regardless of status. So what is righteousness? There is an equality, there is a rightness, there is a goodness in the land, regardless of your gender, your ethnicity, regardless of your socioeconomic class, regardless of these things, that there would be goodness and rightness in the land. God is constantly seeking righteousness. Justice, this idea of mishpat, are concrete actions we take to maintain righteousness. So righteousness is this you it's this euphoric right almost utopian way of understanding the world where everything is good and right and based on equity and fairness. Well, obviously, the world gets in the way of that. So then what justice is are these concrete things, laws put into place, um, amendments that are made, things, the actions, the steps that you would take to bring back righteousness. And you'll see them coupled together throughout Scripture. Righteousness, this idea of goodness in relationships, justice, the actions that we take to restore them. And you see God will put them together throughout his scriptures as a way to demonstrate how are his people doing. If they are pursuing righteousness by doing the work of justice, then they are getting after the work that God is about. And so that's what he's saying is you guys have turned this really good thing justice, these right steps that lead to righteousness, you have made them bitter like wormwood. And then you cast down this idea of righteousness. You've just thrown it to the ground. You littered it. Like, don't, this is Texas. You don't litter in Texas, right? Or whatever, don't, I don't even know what the phrase is. I don't care. I just remember, I think it was George Strait told me I shouldn't litter in Texas when I first moved here. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I do what I want. No, I'm just kidding. I don't litter. I'm kidding. But that's what he's saying. You litter righteousness. This incredibly precious ideal, you treat it like a bubblegum wrapper. That's crazy. And so he's saying to these people, the ones who are doing these horrific acts, the ones who are ignoring the will of God, the ones who are pretending as if only their interests matter because they're forsaking righteousness and justice, and he's telling them, hey, you are engaging in things that bring about death. You need to seek me so that you can live. And then he reminds them. 
So again, we just talked about we've got past, present, day of the Lord, future, and he's consistently, the Lord is consistently reminding them who he is. And so right here we have a reference, God's resume back to the creation. These, this Orion, the Pleiades, these, their constellations, star constellations, he was reminding them, listen, do you know why you can trust that I am the one who can bring life if you seek me? Because I created life. I, I breathed and things then began. There was once nothing but the Trinity and then there was something. There was once nothing and then there was life. We say ex nihilo, this ability that out of nothing came something. And only a God who exists outside of creation can do that. And if that God's the one that created life, then he's the one that sustains it. If he's the giver of life, he's also the sustainer, the keeper, the maintainer of life. So this is a really incredible picture in chapter 5 of when you try to describe what God is like. We've all heard the metaphor, you know, where people, blind men, come and touch an elephant. One's touching a trunk and a tail and all that, and they try and describe it. And, you know, they, without each other's full, comp, like, you have to combine all of their understandings in order to really get an elephant because the trunk doesn't feel like a tail and, and doesn't feel like a tusk and a nose and on and on. And so if you were to just turn to certain pictures of Amos or certain parts of the Bible and not take the full revelation of who God is, you would miss out on his tenderness and his kindness and his continued patience with the very people who disregard justice and righteousness. God is a God of justice. God is a God of righteousness and his people are supposed to be busy about that work and they're not. And we've already seen in chapters three and four, the incredible consequences to that. And then in chapter five, we see how much grief, grief and distress and lament this brings to God, the very God who snorted and the Big Dipper came out. The very God who might have hiccuped and then we got blue whales. I don't know how I did it. I'll ask him someday. So what's my so what? You might be finding yourselves on one side of this equation of justice and righteousness. And what I mean by that is there's multiple sides of this, but maybe you have found yourself being the one who has been oppressive. Or maybe you have found yourself being the one who's been oppressed. And I will tell you, the message is going to be the same. And that is you seek the Lord so that you can live. We all like our comforts. We just do. We have our things that we run to, whether they're people, relationships, whether they're substances, whether it's sex, whether it's, you know, name the thing. Like there are gifts that God has given us that are meant to be enjoyed in certain contexts and with certain boundaries. And then we tend to run to them to make our lives bearable at times. And what I'm telling you is the same thing that Amos told Israel and the same thing God has been telling us. When you are rubbing up against death and decay, chaos and disorder, destruction and disobedience, you can run to those other things, but they are not the giver of life. You can seek those other things, but they will not sustain and energize and give you life. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, the giver of life, so that you may be energized and encouraged and kept. 
So that's our so what, is I would just have you take inventory of your life. I'd have you see the areas where in the midst of running from God, look where he's still patient and kind with you, grieved by your sin. And see that he has an outstretched hand for you, asking you to take his hand because there is life when you run to the Trinity. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, God does. Peace.